Well, good morning again. If you're online, welcome. Glad you're with us as well. We are um, wrapping up today this series called History, um, and next week we're going to start a new series called King Jesus. Um, if you remember back in January, we began a journey through the Gospel of Mark, and it was a sermon, tr- or a sermon series trilogy. And so the first series was called New, the second series was Messiah, and the third part of that series is right here, King Jesus. And so we'll start that next Sunday, um, and that'll take us a little bit of time to finish. Um, so e- each one will be short. And other lies, Gary tells. I'm going to write a book. So have you ever been invited to something special? When I was in Cleburne and doing youth ministry, um, I guess I kind of invited myself. But we had a friend, and he was over at our house one evening having dinner. I think it was a Friday night. And this was December, and it was 2008, right before the Dallas Cowboys were going to play their last game at Texas Stadium. And so I said, you know, I I told my wife, Cammie, I was like, you know, I really want to go to that game. And we started talking about it when our friend was at the house and said, let's look at tickets. And so we start looking at tickets and of course, everything that, that we could afford um, was in the parking lot or on my couch. And, and we start looking at tickets, and I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my goodness. Okay, so I'm not going to this game. And my friend says, well, let me see. And he starts looking through the, the ticket prices, and he says, do you really want to go? And I said, well, I'd love to. I don't want to pay that much money. And he said, well, don't worry about it. I said, okay. So we're going to go sit in the nosebleed section and watch the last game at Texas Stadium. And he said, well, if we're going to go, I'm not sitting there. And so he starts looking at a different category of tickets than I was looking at. Um, this category was on the first level, right at the 50-yard line. And he said, do you want to go? I said, well, yeah, but I can't, I can't pay that. And he goes, don't worry about it. And so we went and watched the very last Cowboys game at Texas Stadium. And it was a really cool game in the, the nostalgic sense. But it was also, if the Cowboys won, they were assured to go to the playoffs. And, of course... They didn't win. But this year, I'll just tell you, I drink the Kool-Aid every year. This year is the year for the first time since I've been in high school. But, But you've been invited to something before that you probably couldn't afford, you couldn't deserve, and it's really cool to be able to do that. And I'm sure the the same is true on the other side. There have been times that you have not been invited to something. And especially today in our world with social media, 
you're invited or you're not invited to something, and then you see the pictures that everyone else puts online. And you realize, I was left out. Because all of us have probably been invited to something pretty cool. And I'm sure all of us have probably been excluded and not invited to something that was really cool. But as we talk about this story of history, understand, history is his story. It is the story of God, and he invites us into his story. It is the story of God's work in this world that he invites us into. He invites us to be a part. If you were here last week, we talked about this body. The body he calls the church. In Greek, it's ekklesia, and it means gathering, assembly, or congregation. That God came to this earth not to, to bring about a building, but a people. A set-apart people committed to bearing his image in this world. And we looked at Matthew chapter 14, I believe, but um, we said this, Jesus did not predict a place. Jesus predicted a people. And that from the very beginning in Genesis, the mission, the vocation of God's people has never changed. And so God does not have a mission for his church God has a church for his mission. That each and every one of us who follow Jesus have been called to bear his image and bring his blessing into this world. And so today we're going to kind of wrap up this series with the idea of invitation. And if you remember back to, to week two, we, we started in a garden as God gives the creation to his image bearers. And he gives them this task to work the ground, to take care of it, to represent him in this world. And he gives them all of this creation to enjoy within this garden. Except, he says there is one tree in the middle of the garden that you cannot eat from. Because if you do, you will die. And so God invites them to live and experience his blessing, to live in communion with him. Except there's one tree in the center. You can have all of this. You can have communion with me. You can experience my blessing, the fullness of life. But you can't have the fruit of this tree. And so often we, we ask the question, why does God give them a choice? Why not just his good creation and there it is? And it brings this question to our mind, is love without a choice actually love? God gives them the choice to choose him, to choose his blessing, to experience shalom with him and with each other. 
And you can have all of this except for this one tree in the center of the garden. If you eat this tree, you will die. And man and woman reject God's invitation to life in exchange for the promise of death. And the lie is, well, you're not going to die. Everything will be fine. God is holding out on you. And of course, they believe the lie. And they exchange the promise of God for the promise of death. The blessing of God for the promise of death. And you'll remember right after the garden, they're on the outside looking in, and these two brothers, Cain and Abel. And God intervenes. He steps into the middle of the story. And he says, hey, Cain, Cain, listen. Sin. Sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you. But you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you. And of course it does. And as we talked about over and over in this series, sin seems to spiral out of control and lead humanity into devastation and death. Chaos becomes the way the world functions. And if, if you're in our shoes, looking back on this story, you think, wouldn't you love to go back to the beginning? I mean, knowing everything that you know right now, wouldn't you love to go back to the beginning and say, hey, Adam, Eve, come, come here, come here. I know that fruit looks really appealing. But if you eat this, now, I know God already told you, I know there's this serpent telling you to eat, but if you eat this, let me tell you what's going to happen. Not just what's going to happen to you right here, right now. Let me tell you what's going to happen to the rest of humanity for as long as you could even imagine. And, and you wonder, would it have even made a difference? Right? Because we, we assume that if people knew the right thing to do, then they would do it. But we've lived long enough, we know that's not the case. Because all of us, at some point, have made a decision we regret. Everyone has made a decision that you think, man, I wish I could take that back. I, I've absolutely loved the last several years um, Southwest Airlines commercials, the want to get away commercials. Remember, here's one of mine, this is one of my favorites. General, there's been a breach. We need your password so we can lock down the system. My password? Yes, sir, we need your password. The password that I use? Yes, sir, your password. There's been another breach. Sir. Right, okay. I-H-A-T. 
T-E-M-Y-J-O-B-1. I hate my job, one. Want to get away? Now you can with Southwest Ferris as low as 50. Yeah, all of us have, have done those things that we really wish we could take back, right? M- maybe for you it was a post on social media or an email you sent. Or if, has anyone ever texted the message to the wrong person? Maybe it was your first credit card. And you thought, I'm just going to use this responsibly, and it's not going to be a big deal. And years later, you're trying to figure out how do you reverse this. Maybe for some it was a relationship. And the people around you said, no, this is not right. No, this is not the person for you. And looking back, they were right. And all of us have had these moments where we could simply say this, if I knew now, or if I knew then what I know now, I would have never done what I did. We we want to take it back. We want to make it go away. We want to, to fix it. And so often, we find ourselves in those places, and it feels like the walls are closing in on us. It feels like we're, we're suffocating, because we made bad decision after bad decision, bad choice after bad choice. But what if really living an abundant life was about what you possess? Not what you own, not stuff, but about wisdom. In the first nine chapters, and we did a series in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, I guess about three summers ago, called The Words of the Wise. And we just spent basically four or five weeks in chapters one through nine. And one through nine in Proverbs is really a question of invitation. It's a question of who's invited to the, fee, to the feast. Who, who's allowed to sit at the table. It, it's an invitation to life or death. And this whole section ends with this in chapter 9. Wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servant, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. So it gives you this picture of Lady Wisdom standing at the highest point of the city, inviting everyone who will listen, 
everyone who will come in to come sit at her table at the feast, to share this meal, to be blessed, to experience life. But the problem is there are those who refuse to listen to wisdom who simply listen to folly. And they're called the simple. And I think a really great definition of this, of simple, is this one who is easily seduced. So you have wisdom calling out, come, experience life. Experience the fullness. It sounds a lot like the garden, right? Come experience the fullness of life and blessing. But then there are the simple. Those who are easily seduced. Who seduces them? And in Proverbs, she's called folly. It says this, Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their ways. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Now listen to this. But little do they know that the dead are there and that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. It's this play that unfolds where you have Lady Wisdom calling out, come, eat my food, drink my wine, experience the fullness of blessing in this new life. Come, sit at my table. And then you have folly who presents herself exactly the same way as Lady Wisdom. At the highest point of the city, calling out to everyone, come, eat my food, drink my wine. And it ends, go, go back to, to verse 17, I think, or 18, whatever it was, that last one. But little do they know that the dead are there. And her guests are in the deep, are deep in the realm of the dead. I imagine it is this play that unfolds. We've, we've talked about this before. Where people are seated around this table. And they're eating. And they're drinking. And then the camera pans out. And you start to realize that the person who is seated at the table, eating the food, drinking the wine, is actually sitting at a table surrounded by people who are dead. And it looks so enticing. And it looks so provocative that I've got to have it. Yet everyone else at the table, everyone at the table is dead. You see, in the wisdom tradition, life and death are tied to choices that you make. In our mind, life and death are present realities. Right? You're either alive 
or you're dead. And we're pretty sure that we know the difference. Unless you have a newborn baby. I think everyone here has done that with their child asleep. Is he still alive, breathing? But life and death in the wisdom tradition are not just simply present realities, they're ongoing states. And what we find is it's possible, it's possible to be physically dying and it seems like your world falling apart, but actually to be full of life. Have you met one of those people before who it seems like their world is falling apart, like they're dying, they're wasting away, but yet they are full of life? I think back to to 1993, Jim Valvano. If you remember, and maybe you've seen this speech at the ESPY Awards back in 1993, he was the famous coach from North Carolina State, and he had cancer, and he gives this incredible speech at the ESPY Awards. And he talks about what it is to experience the fullness of life. And he tells everyone in the crowd, don't give up. Don't ever give up. And that, that speech is like just cemented in my mind. It's something that stuck with me all of these years. And I think the reason was because in this, I saw someone who was dying and literally had just weeks or months left to live. And yet, it seemed like he was so full of life. But the opposite is also true. It's possible to be healthy and seem like everything in your world is going right. And yet inside, be wasting away. Inside, dying. Inside, living life without hope. See, the the big question is not whether there is life after death. The bigger question is there life before death. And constantly, throughout this story, the story of God, He is inviting people to experience life. Not just someday in the future once you're dead, but here and now experience life through Christ. It's not that we wait to live in, in, that's so foreign to the Scriptures, that just someday off in the future, then you will experience life. The hope is that you would experience life here and now. Another place that we kind of went last year during COVID, um, and it's been one of the favorite things I've seen in Scripture, um, man, in the last three or four years, the, the thing that just, it's one of those deals that just kind of clicked for me finally. Because you, you know the story of Moses and how he leads these people for 40 years in the wilderness. And then... God tells him that he's not going to get into the promised land. He's been leading these people. In Numbers chapter 20, it says this. 
But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of all the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. If there is anything in the Bible that is more unfair... Okay, Jesus. Um, Besides Jesus, if there is anything in the Bible that is more unfair than this, I don't know what it is. And I know there are some justice people here who are just like, no, 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 you, you get what you... Hopefully God won't judge you like that. All right? If there is anything where I want to just go back and say, God, I know Moses isn't speaking up right now, but let me just talk for him. He should get to go across this, this river. He should get to lead these people. Have you seen what these people did? If there was anything that was more unfair, I don't know what it is. And then something finally occurred to me. The more I, I sat with this text, God doesn't leave Moses, God doesn't abandon Moses. He doesn't give up on him. And he still allows him to lead these people for the remainder of his days. And yet Moses dies on the side of a mountain overlooking the promised land. Close enough that you could almost touch it. And not once... Does Moses complain? Not once does Moses say, That's not fair. And I think the reason is because Moses had found something greater than the promised land it was the presence of God. There was nothing greater than simply God's presence in his life. And it says this in Joshua 13. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance, as he promised them. Moses realizes something incredibly profound. He has something greater than the promised land. It is the presence of God in his life. And what finally hit me is this. Until you want the Father more than the gifts of the Father, you will never experience the blessing of the Father. Until you want God more than the stuff that God would give you, you will never experience the fullness of His blessing. And here's what we learn time and time again throughout this story. 
and not just the story of Moses, the story of Scripture, is that time and time, did you need a picture? Sorry. The invitation never changes based on your decisions. The invitation is always there. Jesus tells a a parable that's really, really similar, I think, to Proverbs. It's really, really similar to Genesis in, in the sense that there is a feast that everyone is invited to. And one by one, they start to make excuses of reasons they can't go. I bought a field and I need to go see it. Or I bought some oxen and I'm going to go try it out. I just got married. And one by one, they keep making these excuses for why they can't go. And it sounds so much like Proverbs chapter 9. There's this one who is easily seduced. They're focused on what's right here, right now in front of them. And for every single one of us, those decisions we make that we regret so many times come from the place of we want what's right in front of us. If it looks good, we'll do it. And I just hope those words from Genesis 4 could echo in our minds. Sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you. Is it possible There is more to life than just simply what is right in front of us. Because as Jesus comes into this world, and we're going to pick up here next week, actually, as we start this Mark series back up. As Jesus comes into this world, he says this, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near in the person of Jesus, and then he says, repent and believe the good news. What's interesting is they don't fully know the good news at this point. The good news at this point is that God has become man. And he's entered into this mess with flesh and blood to reconcile and bring his people back together. That's his announcement. But there's this word in here, repent. And the word in Hebrew is teshuva. And it means to turn or return. And it has a very, very, very specific picture that goes with teshuva. Because it is this idea of walking in one direction and then coming to the realization that you're going in the wrong direction and then turning around to go a completely opposite direction. 
It's that we've been chasing after power. We've been chasing after control. We've been chasing after wealth. And then we come to the realization that the kingdom of God is bigger and better and more powerful than anything else this world has to offer. And we come to this realization and we turn. We return. We come back to God. And believe isn't just simply this intellectual understanding. It's that it moves from the head to the heart. And it changes everything about your life, everything about your world. See, intellectually, rationally, I I think we see so many times that we listen to Lady Folly. And come, this is life. Come eat my food. Come drink my wine. But little did they know, the dead are there. And her guests are in the depths of the grave. See, that the choices that are tied to life and death, we have a chance to make every day. But probably the most important one you make is that original choice to turn. To say, I've been chasing after so many things that lead to death. I want to experience life in Christ. And we turn. We, we do this 180 and we, we move and orient our life towards Him. And yet for some, you turned a long time ago. And the problem is you've kept turning back over and over again. And yet still the invitation is the same. Return. Come back to me, and you will find life. Father, today we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the invitation to life. And Father, we thank you for continuing to pursue us when time and time again we choose death. We we trade the blessing of God and the promise of life for the promise of death. And yet, Father, in you, We find hope. We find hope that the invitation is still open. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, you still love us, you still call us, and you still invite us. And God, we thank you so much. Thank you for Jesus our Savior, who gave us life. Father, through Him, we have hope of life here and now, throughout all eternity. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never turned to Christ, we offer you that invitation. Come, Come to Jesus, be baptized into Him begin a new life in Him.
Maybe it's just simply returning to Him. We're going to have our shepherds around the back of the auditorium, their spouses. They would love to pray over you, help you however we could as you follow Jesus. So I want to invite you to stand as we sing.